This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Last month, Nobel Peace Prize laureate and women's rights activist Malala Yousafzai's marriage sparked debate. While many were happy for Malala, many others argued that her decision to get married is antithesis to feminism and goes against what she stands for. The question is, is marriage anti-feminist? I'm Dutran Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Sharon Bong. She's an Associate Professor of Gender Studies at Monash University, Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Good to have you on again. Let's start by giving people some background, Sharon. Um, why were or are people angry that Malala is, is married now? What sparked the frustration and the, 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 the passionate debates um, that we have seen taking place online? Thank you so much, Dashran. Perhaps because she has, in the near past, uh, associated you know, marriage as uh, something that is antithetical to girls' education, for instance, early marriage. And if she self-identifies as a feminist, then perhaps she thought that, um, and others as well, you know, have the perception that feminists are somewhat unilaterally and naturally against marriage which is not necessarily the case, I think. And perhaps they feel let down because there are certain uh, expectations that people have of uh, iconic figures such as uh, Malala. Mm. Now, is changing opinions, uh, you know, like as a feminist, you know, she changed her opinions. Is that considered um, wrong or weak? Or, you know, some have suggested that she's very hypocritical for getting married. Do you, where do you stand on this issue? I think it's so unfortunate that uh, people have labeled her as hypocritical because she's done so much. You know, I mean, she survived a direct head shot, um, a gunshot a wound to the head. And she's done so much in terms of um, advocating for girls' education, not just in the home country, but globally. And certainly, I mean, I don't agree with, uh, you know, detractors like that because I feel that anyone, whether or not you identify as a feminist, surely you have a right to change your mind. And one of the main uh, values or principles that you know, feminists um, adhere to would be self-determination. And so with self-determination, what is paramount is choice, you know, and only the more privileged among us actually have choices. And why should she be crucified, as it were, uh, if she were to embrace uh, life's choices? Which includes the right to change your mind. Now, before we get to what marriage actually is or can be, let's talk about why um, is marriage seen sometimes or sometimes seen as anti-feminist. What do you think, Sharon? I think that has to do with uh, misconceptions that people have regarding feminists. And with regard to marriage what feminists would find problematic and you don't just have to be you know a feminist to find certain aspects of uh, heterosexual marriage problematic so some of the um, areas why people find marriage problematic would be that and why it's often labeled as you know an institution that is heteropatriarchal 
is uh, firstly that women and girls tend to be disproportionately saddled with the burden of care. And this was actually globally uh, shown and made worse in the time of COVID-19. So women and girls, you know, take on a greater uh, burden of care in most households or in many, many households around the world. But what is uh, more problematic is early marriage. So when early marriage happens, it also hits girls uh, more disproportionately than it does boys. And whatever the factors that drive early marriage, for instance, often poverty is touted as a reason. But feminists would um, challenge that by saying, why then are girls more disproportionately affected? So for sure, early marriage would be, you know, death to a girl's education. And that is principally where Malala, uh, where Malala uh, stood for, uh, you know, where her views on marriage, it, where, where it seemed to be antithetical. I'm sure it was in relation to early marriage as adversely impacting um, girls' education. There are also other aspects to contend with, right? When we think about um, marriage or, or, and what... Um, how it ties into patriarchy. We're talking about early or child marriages where uh, um, kids are just forced in, in, into these situations, uh, um, families, um, uh, you know, this idea of dowries, um, whether it's for ch- kids or whether it's adults, this idea that, uh, you know, families give money uh, um, to the man's family and say, you know, take take my daughter. It's like, on to you now. That sort of idea that you're, you're, you're trading your daughter off. Um, or even this idea of this white dress that women wear at weddings, right? Um, you know, people talk about the beautiful white dress. Its origins has a lot um, to tie into this idea of purity and virginity. And even something as simple as, you know, adopting the hu- husband's surname, um, you don't see it happening the other way around. It's always the women who adopt the husband's surname. All of these things are also reasons why a marriage can be perceived as anti-feminist, right? I think you've pointed out um, the more sort of damaging aspects where it comes to uh, value of the girl child. So the way she's uh, bartered off or sold off, you know, quite literally, into in some places where you know families are very poor even sold off into prostitution to feed the family so it's not just you know the dowry and the early marriages and the termination of uh, education and we're talking about basic education so once there is a premature end to you know a young person's or a child's um, education that would pretty much render her uh, subservient right to mm-hmm. The husband, and usually in the case of early marriages, it's a much older husband, and also to her in-laws, and then it's just a spiral, you know, um, just a descent to gender-based uh, violence or gender-based discrimination because then she has so little bargaining power, and it all stems from the uh, lesser value that is accorded to the girl-child in so many societies. So. The way she is married off or the reasons why, you know, she's married off or bartered off, uh, that is an extension of how she is valued in the first place, in the first instance. And the first reason that you mentioned, the whole construct of virginity. So again, that falls rather disproportionately 
on girls and women. So that's why their bodies and their sexualities are policed so much more. And there is such a higher degree of intolerance when a woman's or a girl's body is so-called solid, right? Uh, if she has sex out of wedlock, so to speak, and we still hear of, you know, crimes against women and girls, such as honor killings that are still practiced because a girl or a body's, uh, um, a girl or a woman's body, even when she's raped, uh, is considered to bring uh, dishonor or shame upon the family. So these are such toxic, you know, such harmful ideas. And it stems from uh, mainly the lesser value that is placed on girls as compared to boys. So this whole construct of virginity, of course, is something that feminists challenge because that leads very directly to how she is further devalued, stigmatized, marginalized, you know, in, in the form of various gender-based discriminations and also gender-based violence, you know, where her life is taken and often by the male members of the family, right, for bringing shame or dishonor to the family. Or in the case um, here in Malaysia where she's, you know, married off, uh, sometimes to her rapists, uh, as was reported in in the media. So with that in mind, it some it can come off as marriage being anti-feminist. So is is marriage actually in reality, especially when we look at today, is is the just the the concept of marriage in and of itself is it anti anti-feminist? Uh, marriage is certainly not anti-feminist, mm. and. Neither are, you know, feminists uh, as a whole unilaterally against marriage. Because to begin with, there are many schools of feminist thought. And in previous podcasts, uh, BFM podcasts, we've had conversations where we've talked about, you know, the whole range of various feminisms. And of course, when feminisms take root in an individual's heart, you know, and mind, and depending on where that individual is, right, because we're all embedded in different social, cultural, um, political contexts. So it also, you know, changes the, the tone, you know, it inflects the way we live out and we practice our own feminisms. So to begin with, there is no just one shoe fits all with regard to a single monolithic um, school of feminism. And so if we move from that premise, then it also, I think, logically follows that not all feminists um, would, would uh, uh, how shall we say it, um, would, would lash out against marriage, mm -hmm. you know. So marriage is not anti-feminist necessarily, and neither are feminists um, as a whole anti-marriage, because there are you know, many healthy marriages. And of course, we're not just talking about heterosexual partnerships. It's also, you know, unions or partnerships that are formed in so many diverse ways, which we have also um, talked about that are not necessarily, you know, within the framework of something that is heterosexual nor patriarchal. So there are many, many um, people who have come together, you know, in partnership or in union and uh, have formed very healthy, very affirming, very supportive um, 
marriages or unions, hmm. partnerships. Yeah. Now, you've discussed, um, you know, what exactly feminism is, like you mentioned, um, on, a, on a different podcast on this very show and other shows as well. Um, but perhaps um, just to give us a refresher, right, because uh, people always have these, these big debates about, you know, is this feminist, is this anti-feminist and, and stuff, which, I mean, debates are always important. But at, at its core, right, what exactly is feminism? Essentially, in a nutshell, mm-hmm. Dashran, I mean, I spent like 12 weeks, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to unpack this with my students. When mm-hmm. we talk about contemporary feminisms in Asia, for instance, right. how feminism takes root in Asia, right, in the context of Asia. But a simple response to a simple question is whether or not uh, we identify as feminists, and it's really important to self-identify, but whether or not we take on the label, right? I think I would regard anyone who stands for social justice and in particular gender justice. Uh, to me, you know, that person would be, in my um, estimation, a feminist. But of course, it's important that that person, you know, self-identifies as one. So essentially, uh, it's to be advocating for the rights of the girl child and women, firstly, because that's how the movement started. It's a movement that uh, advances, that is dedicated, committed to advancing the rights of the girl, child and women. And then it got extended to advancing the gender justice, which is, you know, um, for instance, uh, sexual and reproductive health and rights or sexuality rights for everyone, right, including the LGBT community. So that is the extension of the feminist movement. On the show with me today is Sharon Bong, Associate Professor in Gender Studies. After the break, we continue our discussion on feminism and marriage. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Sharon Bong, Associate Professor in Gender Studies at Monash University, Malaysia. And we're discussing if marriage is anti-feminist. So, Sharon, you know, for those who argue that you know, marriages, a marriage in and of itself or marriage inherently is patriarchal. Um, what is your response to that? Can men and women be equals in a marriage? And what does a healthy feminist marriage look like? Uh, again, those are very good questions, uh, Dashran. And for the reasons that we talked about earlier in this interview, uh, because of the many reasons, uh, many ways in which, you know, girls and women are bartered off, how girls' and women's bodies and sexualities are valued, you know, policed, uh, and all that, all that, that uh, that's the reason why. Uh, those are the patriarchal constructs uh, where marriage is concerned, at least where heterosexual marriage is concerned. But certainly, as, as I had mentioned, Uh, Healthy marriages are in abundance uh, and a healthy marriage is one where the um, people who are involved in that, you know, enter into the marriage firstly as fully consenting adults. So ideally as adults, right? So they're fully consenting. And in ways that matters to them, the, uh, the people who are involved, that, you know, the relationship is equitable in whatever form it takes for the two, because uh, we don't also have a one-shoe-fits-all in terms of uh, a relationship that is equitable, right, or um, equal. 
But really, really important are other aspects such as mutual respect. And of course, if a partnership or a union or a marriage is founded on love, uh, what could be better? But, you know, there are many, many couples who start off with arranged marriages and they, you know, foster love along the way. Uh, and, and, you know, then magic happens. Uh, mm-hmm. That's also fine. And I think a lot of people underestimate uh, the value of kindness. So kindness to one another is something that, you know, couples should work at every day, I think. And it's not as easy as it actually sounds, you know. Um, kindness may not come naturally to us, especially when there are so many stresses in life. And certainly trying to survive the pandemic and with all the new variants, it's just anyone's guess how long this is going to stretch out to. So these are the various um, uh, sort of values that enrich a marriage or a partnership or a union. What makes it healthy? Yeah, whether it's, you know, we want to label it a feminist partnership or union, we don't necessarily need to have that qualifier or that adjective. But I think if two people go into it, you know, fully consenting with their eyes wide open and are willing to give their all to make it, you know, work, uh, that, that sounds like, yeah, good ingredients. Can women want to get married or is it all, you know, social conditioning and internalized patriarchy to some degree? Um, this, this social conditioning that has been going on for years and years and years. And, you know, some might say now with, with how mass media functions and everything, because other aspects of, of marriage are also due, you know, social constructs. Um, even the diamond ring idea is also a social construct. So... Can, can women, in, you know, want to get married or is everything just, you know, social conditioning, internalized patriarchy and, the, and, and whatnot? Well, firstly, it's not just uh, women, right? Or, or young women or girls, yeah. It's also young men. So, yeah, I mean, I would agree that to some extent, and it depends, right? More is, in some places, the degree is, uh, you know, much more. Of course, there is uh, some amount of uh, social conditioning so the whole uh, imperative to marry, right? The the marriage imperative that you need to get married um, in order to procreate, you know, uh, legitimately, uh, legally, that is certainly driven by a lot of um, cultural practices and some people bring in religion as well, you know, to add that sort of uh, pressure. So, of course, there is social conditioning, but I think to form uh, human relationships it's also something that is so basic to the human condition that it's not as if we were all clueless or we were all duped, you know, into this sense of false consciousness that I think at the heart of it, it's also about uh, human beings wanting to connect to one another and in a very different way, you know, rather as compared to the way we connect with our parents, with other family members and how we form intimate uh, relationships with uh, partners of our own choice, ideally, uh, partners of our own choice. So on the one hand, yes, there is social conditioning involved, but around the world, global statistics have shown, and this has been like decades, that more and more young men and young women are delaying marriage or even choosing not to marry, or even if they marry, they are delaying uh, having children. You know, because nowadays it's 
I think it takes a lot, right? The the cost of living is, uh, is is spiraling, and you know inflation and all of that. And of course, all of this is also exacerbated by COVID nineteen. So, a lot of young people are really making these decisions for themselves, life decisions, that you know maybe they want to focus on themselves, maybe they want to focus on their career, because when they look at marriages around them, they can see that you know it takes a lot, a lot out of you. And when children are involved, then there are a lot of sacrifices that have to be made. Of course, it depends you know, from one household to the other. These sacrifices are also disproportionate. Sometimes they fall more heavily on one partner. In other households, they fall more heavily on another partner. So, you know, um, it's it's a heavy decision, and everyone should really, really think very, very carefully before going into. Um, intimate partnership like uh, marriage you know from when i talk to you um you know fundamentally what i'm getting at when when we talk of uh, feminism i can boil it down to at, at its core um it's about you know um, e- equity um across genders it's about equality across genders it's about having choices to make um your own decisions autonomy and all of these things so why then do is there like the the, the word feminism and its definition, um, why, does, why do people constantly try to skew the meaning of it? And for example, like, like even if you just take like a movie, American Pie style movie centered around women instead of guys, um, people, you, you know, you see arguments on social media, bring, people bring up the question, is this what feminism is about? You know, shouldn't you be making inspiring movies about successful, intelligent women who are conquering the world instead? You also get um, arguments like about how, you know, if you choose, um, you know, to be a homemaker and you want to be a, and that what you, that's your primary um, thing, right? You are, you know, you want to be a homemaker and you want to raise kids because that's what you feel like doing and, you're, and you want your husband to be a breadwinner. Um, people say that's also anti-feminist. And, and it seems like, you know, that's not what I'm getting from you, Sharon, when I discuss with you. Or, um, you, you so why, why is there this, this constant skewing of the meaning of feminism? I think you've put it really well, Dashran, and I'm really, you know, grateful for opportunities like this uh, with you to have conversations about feminism. You know, the F word, this other F word, <laughs> uh, especially through, you know, an avenue like BFM, because of the reach that you have, right, with the public, uh, namely because conversations like this, you don't really hear it in the, you know, mama every day or in public discourses. And even when we do, often, as you say, it's, and you've observed, it's usually skewed. And a large part of that reason is because there are, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding, there's a lot of misconceptions that people have about feminism. And the reason why there is so much of uh, misconception is because, you know, the whole myth of feminism is because, uh, you know, this is not necessarily, this is not a subject, not a compulsory or a core subject, for instance, that is taught in schools. It should be, right? It should be in tandem with sexuality education, you know, a comprehensive sexuality education, because there are many uh, resonances between both, but it's not. So people get it piecemeal. And when you have um, 
very opinionated people who want to have their own, you know, say about it. And, and all of this is trending. Uh, there are a lot of mixed messages. But, you know, on the whole, uh, I think you've read my, my stance quite correctly. On the whole, I think, you know, to have public discourse or to have public debate about uh, this particular F word, you know, feminism, I think it's really healthy. I think it's healthy when there are different positions, there are different standpoints. So we have dissenters, we have people who are proponents, and even among the people who uh, would self-identify as feminists, if we sat down, we had you know a one-on-one -on -one conversation or a focus group conversation, there are no two feminists who are alike. I you know, generally right. believe that. And it should be the case, and that should be the case, because even within the feminist movement, right, in individual countries, let alone if we look at, you know, the whole trajectory of feminism globally, uh, feminists would be the first to critique other feminists. So that's why we have at least today, if we're looking at her story of feminism, we have at least three schools or three waves of um, feminisms. And the reason that is so is because feminists would be the first to point out, you know, um, both the gaps as well as the um, uh, triumphs or the advantages of the, you know, previous school of feminist thought. But they would be one of the first to point out the gaps, what is lacking, you know, so on and so forth. So I welcome conversations, I welcome debate, because that means that feminism is still alive and kicking and quite <laughs> well, right, in our world. And this is a world that is so divided, right, that's so divided. It's uh, difficult to have, you know, a group of people who, you know, share the same viewpoint. But let it thrive, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom with regard to the various viewpoints that people have in feminism, because when I see and, and, you know, observe and listen to resistances like this or reactions, should we put it right, responses, then it means one thing to me, and that is that people are trying to, number one, wrap their heads around this. But when there is, you know, uh, there's, there's a more deep-seated reaction, whether it's a hostile one or otherwise, it means that it's traveling from the head knowledge and people are trying to maybe digest this. People are trying maybe to internalize it. And so that's very often uh, where the resistances then start to emerge because people then realize that, hey, you know, if I take on some of these, you know, feminist values, it means that I kind of like have to question the way I was raised, the social conditioning, which means that I need to question uh, cultural practices, cultural values, maybe, you know, the way um, holy texts were interpreted for me that somewhat run counter to some of these, you know, um, values from feminism. So when people start to realize that when they're taking feminisms home and when they are internalizing it in their hearts, then you will find, you know, these hostilities and these adverse reactions. And um, that's, that's basically how, you know, I ascertain um, receptivity, right? Sick. So people will only react strongly when they are actually listening to the message of feminism. It's better to have reactions like that than to have, you know, no reaction because no mm. reaction means people have switched off. Right, definitely. Now, circling back to this 
particular uh, conversation, right, about um, uh, Malala getting married and, and the debate that has sparked. Can you be a feminist and still hold on to some um, traditional or conventional values? Yeah, very much so. Much of the uh, research that I've done looks at this exact intersection, Dashran, and mm. that is rights and religions. So whether it's women's rights and religions, and by religions, I mean some of the world religions that we have in Malaysia, uh, from Islam to Christianity to Buddhism to Hinduism, and also sexuality rights and religion. So I am you know, very vested, very invested in this particular intersection because I do believe that um, value systems, you know, uh, they, they inhabit our world um, in, in a bubble because value systems in any one of us, you know, at any one point we are dealing with more than one value system. There are cultural practice, you know, cultural practices, there are, you know, religious practices or religious beliefs. And then there are what some people infer or, or brand as a Western idea, right? So we, we hear this often enough in terms of rhetoric that's practiced in Malaysia and elsewhere, that these run counter or they are antithetical to so-called Asian values, right? The whole human yeah. rights discourse whether it's women's rights or whether it's sexuality, and worse, if it's sexuality rights, you know, by by these um, other sort of uh, detractors' uh, standpoints. But for for most of us, if we are willing to negotiate our value system, our you know core value system, with other value systems, then it is only natural that we are constantly negotiating and trying to find meaning and how we can live that out because. Uh, it is true when people say, uh, uh, you know, action speaks louder than words because rhetoric is, is very, very easy. But when you try to put your value systems, right, the hybrid value systems into practice, we may find that, you know, one aspect of this value system may not sit so easily with that aspect of, you know, my older value system. And so what do I do? So I think fundamentally, each one of us is, you know, constantly, for me, certainly, it's a you know, daily daily practice, right? Daily engagement of uh, negotiating for myself, not for others, but negotiating for myself. You know what it means? What does it mean to be feminist and Catholic, for instance, which I am? Um, as we wrap it up, um, just some final thoughts from you, Sharon, or a final message um, about the big question that we're talking about. Is marriage anti-feminist? No. <laughs> Fundamentally, um, it boils down to it's about giving women the choice to make these decisions for themselves. On that note, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Yes. Welcome, Dashran. Thank I, you for inviting me. I've been speaking to Sharon Bong, who's an Associate Professor in Gender Studies at Monash University, Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check out the podcast titled Is Marriage Anti-Feminist on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.